This morning we turn to our Bibles in Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3. We'll begin reading in verse 13. Mark chapter 3. Verse 13. And we'll read down to verse 22. Follow with me as I read. Mark chapter 3 verse 13. And he goeth up into a mountain, and calleth unto him whom he would, and they came unto him. And he ordained twelve that they should be with him, and that they might send that he might send them forth to preach, and to have power to heal sicknesses and to cast out devils. And Simon he surnamed Peter. James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, or, or the brother of James, and he surnamed then Boanerges, which is the sons of thunder. <laughs> and Andrew, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the Canaanite. And Judas Iscariot, which also betrayed him, and they went into an house. And the multitude cometh together again, so that they could not so much as eat bread. And when his friends heard of it, they went out to lay hold on him, for they said, He is beside himself. And the scribes which came down from Jerusalem said, He hath Beelzebub. And by the prince of devils casteth he out devils. We'll leave off reading there in verse 22. Just a matter of review. Thus far in the Mark chapter 3, we have seen the Lord Jesus Christ dealing with the issue of what is considered lawful activity on the Sabbath. And as I've said before, this issue will rise up and continue to rise up throughout the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. In this chapter, the issue is, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? He is in the Jewish synagogue. The Jews are there. The Jewish leaders are there. And in the synagogue, there's a man with a withered hand. And we see Jesus working in the midst of conflict. As I was reviewing and thinking through this morning, I I have all my notes and I've scribbled in the margin. Jesus Christ works in the midst of conflict. Well, I think it's good instruction for us that despite what's going on around us, despite those who will rise up and speak against us, uh, let us work in the midst of conflict. They watched him, it says in verse 2, that they might accuse him. Those religious leaders of the Jews' religion watching the Lord Jesus Christ with a careful scrutiny so that they could discover some evil against him. But in the midst of that, he instructs the man to stand in the middle of the synagogue and ask the question, is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath days? And he answers the question by appealing to their common sense and to the common practice regarding their daily mercy toward their animals. He says... And it's recorded in Matthew 12 for us. What man shall there be among you that shall have one sheep, if it fall into a pit on the Sabbath day, will he not lay hold on it and lift it up? And then second, he answers by teaching that men who are made in the image of God are more valuable than any animal. Verse 12 of that same text, How much then is a man better than a sheep? And his conclusion is, Wherefore it is lawful. To do well on the Sabbath days. Not only do we see him working in the midst of conflict, but we see him working out of a sense of compassion. Because the next thing we see is he says to the man, "Stretch forth thy hand," and he stretched it out, and his hand was restored as the as whole as the other. And after the man was healed, the religious leaders of the Jews' religion took counsel among themselves as they might. Destroy the Lord Jesus Christ. So instead of seeing with their own eyes and learning from the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ so that the conflict is subdued, what we see then is an increased conflict. 
The Pharisees went forth and straightway took counsel with the Herodians against him how they might destroy him. Verse 6. And then in verse 7, last week we looked and studied that Jesus Christ withdrew himself and went to the sea and his, himself and his disciples. And we looked at two reasons for that action. First, the appointed time for the death of the Lord Jesus Christ had not yet come. And second, the Lord Jesus Christ was not yet through calling his apostles and training them. And that brings us up to verse 13 this morning. And I made mention of it last week. And we'll begin in verse 13 and go through the text this morning. He's not yet through calling his apostles. Remember I said last week that he only had four of the original twelve with him. In the opening chapters of Mark chapter 1, 2 and coming into up to this verse in Mark chapter 3. But Mark chapter 3, verse 13, after leaving, after withdrawing himself from the angry religious Jews, he goes up into a mountain and calleth unto him whom he would, and they came unto him, and he ordained twelve that they should be with him, and that he might send them forth to preach, and to have power to heal sickness and to cast out devils. Luke records... In Luke chapter 6, verse 12, And it came to pass in those days that he went out into a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. And then says, When it was day, he called on him his disciples, and of them he chose twelve, whom he also named apostles. And I want to come back and look at this particular text, but before I do, I want to address the issue of the call of God. There are at least four different calls of God that are mentioned in the Scriptures. And I want to go through them this morning just to re, re, remind us and refresh our memories concerning them. Because what's taking place in verse 13 and 14 is that He is calling apostles out of His disciples, ordaining them, setting them forth, setting them forth as apostles, and then sending them forth to preach the gospel. But long before that takes place, there are other calls that have been in place. And I want us to look at them. First, there is a general or a universal call to salvation. In Isaiah 45, 22, God says, Look unto me and be ye saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is none else. And these twelve experienced that general call to salvation. They had been Jews raised up with the Word of God. Isaiah 45 and verse 22 was a common verse. And there are at least four things in this verse that this verse teaches us. First, Isaiah 45, 22 and other verses like it teach us that the offer of the gospel is universal. Now we believe in divine election, but we don't know who the elect are. And we have been instructed in the scriptures that we just simply proclaim the gospel to every man. None are to be excluded. The ends of the earth are the most remote, remote parts of the world. All are commanded to look unto God as their Savior and to embrace His salvation. All the world, with this command from God to look to Him for salvation, may come and receive eternal life. Second, with this command, the whole world may know that God is willing to save all who come to Him for salvation. Come unto me, all your labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. If any man come to me, I will not cast him out. They may know, the whole world may know, that God is willing to save all who come to Him for salvation. Thirdly, with this command, the whole world may know that God has provided ample provision for the salvation of sinners. Stay with me on this because I'm going to come to a point in just a minute. God could not invite sinners to come to Him if He had not provided for them. Neither is God mocking sinners by commanding them to come to Him for salvation which did not exist. God has said to sinners, if you come, you will be saved. And fourth... This command for the whole world to come to Him also means that it is His serious and settled purpose 
that all the ends of the earth should be called upon to embrace his promise of eternal life. Isaiah 45, 22 gives us enough reason to go into all the world and preach the gospel. The tr- that truth brings us to our text, the call of the twelve. We'll get to that in just a minute. But there's another verse, or another set of verses in the New Testament. John chapter 3, verse 14 and through 16. That indicates that there is a universal call to salvation. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. The whosoever of the Bible are not, the whosoevers of the Bible are not limited to the elect. They are true invitations to whosoever will repent and believe the gospel. It is a genuine expression of God. A couple of Sundays ago, I dealt with, no, that was in San Antonio, not here. I dealt with the issue of repentance and quoted out of the Old Testament where God says, Why will you die? Why will you die? And in the New Testament it says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Another text, Acts chapter 17, verse 30 and 31. Paul is preaching and says on Mars Hill to the Athenians, And the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commanded all men everywhere to repent. Because he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness. God's command that the world repent in light of the coming judgment is another proof of his general and universal call to the whole world to come to him for salvation. But the general call of God to salvation falls upon deaf ears, hard hearts, and dead souls. Therefore, there is a need for God to be more specific. And that brings us to the second call that, that 11 out of the 12 apostles had received. And that is a particular and effectual call to salvation. John 6 and verse 37, Jesus expressed it this way, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. But all that the Father giveth me shall come to me. It is a definitive statement that there are some who shall come and not be cast out. A few verses later in John 6 and verse 44, Jesus continuing the same conversation in the same line says, No man can come unto me except the Father which hath sent me draw him. The word draw in John 6.44 refers to the effectual call of God in a sinner's life to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a Greek word that means that God comes to the place where the sinner is, lays hold on him much like he laid hold on Lot, and brings him to the Lord Jesus Christ. The word draw is a word that means that you are brought from point A to point B. That God calling you in this particular text is effectual. It means it accomplishes what God has designed to accomplish. God says, come on the Lord Jesus Christ. Men hear with deaf ears, blind eyes, hard hearts, and they do not come. God comes to where they are, changes them, and brings them to the Lord Jesus Christ. Jeremiah 31, 3. The Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn thee. I loved you, therefore I drew you. I loved you, therefore I called you. I brought you. I called you effectually. And probably one of the strongest verses on this issue is Romans 8 and verse 30, where the Apostle Paul writes, Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them 
he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. And if we reverse the order of that and ask this question, who are those that are glorified? Who are those that get to heaven? Those who are glorified, those who come into God's presence in heaven, are those who are justified. Well, who are those who are justified? Well, those who are justified, declared just in the courtroom of God, are those who are called. And who are those who are called? Well, those are who are called are those who are predestinated. The Greek word has in it the idea of having God having foreloved you. And so there is a particular and effectual call to salvation. And in the preaching of the gospel, we give a general call to all sinners to come in repentance toward God and faith toward the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit, who saves a person gives an effectual call where he says, you, you, you're the one he's talking about. You, you're the one he's talking about. You come and God will save you. Then there is a general call regarding our service as Christians in the kingdom of God. What do I mean by that? Well, go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, there's much more that can be said on this particular one that I'm going to say this morning. But there is a general call regarding our service in the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 20, the Apostle Paul says, Let every man abide in the same calling wherein he was called. That is, when you were called of God to salvation, whatever your calling was in life, remain there. What he's saying is this, if you were a carpenter, when God saved you, stay a carpenter. If you were an electrician, when God saved you, you stay an electrician. There is a general calling in the, of your service in the kingdom of God. This verse alone, and the following verses that, follow, that come after it, eliminates the idea of clergy laity. You serve God where you're at. You don't have to be a minister of the gospel to serve God. You serve God in the calling that you have. Are you a carpenter? Is this not the carpenter? Are you a carpenter? Are you whatever? Truck driver? Are you a doctor? Are you an engineer? You serve God with the tools God gives you. Are you a mother? Are you a grandmother? Are you a wife? Are you a husband? Are you a father? Are you a grandfather? You serve God in your calling. You remain there. Art thou called being a servant? Care not for it. But if thou mayest be made free, use it rather. Verse 22. For he that is called in the Lord being a servant is the Lord's free man. Likewise also he that is called being free is Christ's servant. Verse 23. You're bought with a price. Be not ye the servants of men. You are now belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. You serve him in your calling. Brethren, let every man wherein he is called, therein abide with God. And so, of the twelve, most of them are fishermen. Right? So that brings us to our fourth point. A particular call to a particular service in the kingdom of God. In our text, the Lord Jesus Christ calls fishermen to be preachers of the gospel. Instruction given in, the old, in the, all of the scripture, in fact, but particularly in the New Testament, is when God saves you, you just stay where you're at. He's not asking you to quit your job, go off somewhere. You stay where you're at. You do what you can. You, you bloom where you're planted. You've you, 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 you got a field around you, and you work in that field, and that's where God wants you. Until the day God comes along 
and says, I got something else I want you to do. I got another place I want you to be. Some of those men in India have never been out of what we would call a county in their whole life. Some of them never been out of the village where they were born in that district. That's all they know. Can they serve the Lord there? They are, in fact, serving the Lord there. Churches in cropped up in places where there were no churches before. Men who were day laborers are now called of God to be preachers of the gospel. And here's what is happening in verse 13. He goeth up into a mountain and calleth unto him whom he would, and they came unto him and he ordained. Twelve. Our text shows the Lord Jesus Christ calling fishermen. The scriptures show that he calls carpenters, that he calls men who are doctors, that he calls men who were religious leaders. And all of it, he changes them into preachers. In the Old Testament, we find out that he calls sheep herders to be preachers. He calls farmers to be preachers. There's one prophet that's plowing in a field. Elijah comes along, touches him on Elisha, touches him on his shoulder, and goes off. And the man is plowing, and he says, wait, wait for me. And he, what did he do? He burns his plow, offers a bullock, and goes after Elijah. Now that's a call from being a farmer to a preacher. What's happening in Mark chapter 3, verse 14, is this. Twelve men, eleven of which have received a general call of salvation, a specific and effectual call of salvation, who had a previous calling of God as fishermen or some other duty, now are being called to be apostles. He called them, he ordained twelve that they should be with him and that he might send them forth to preach. Luke chapter 6 verse 13 dealing with this account says, When it was day he called unto him his disciples and of them he chose twelve whom he also named apostles. The word apostle means one who is sent forth or sent ones. The Lord Jesus Christ enabled these twelve men and others throughout the scriptures to go forth and preach and teach the gospel message. In Galatians chapter 1, Paul, writing of himself, says, Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by men, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. I too am an apostle. Paul was Saul of Tarsus. Tarsus was his home. He was a Pharisee there, and that's where he labored. Remember in Acts chapter 11, Barnabas is in Antioch, and he goes to Tarsus and convinces Saul to come with him back to Antioch. Something has changed in Saul's calling. Two chapters later, Barnabas and Saul are set aside by the church of Antioch and sent out as missionaries, sent ones. He also gave these twelve certain spiritual gifts which would attend the preaching of the gospel. They were fishermen. What did they know about studying the scriptures? What did they know about preaching the gospel? They were fishermen. I was working in a lumber yard. I could tell you about cement and lumber and rebar and nails and screws. I can talk about that. God saved me. I continued to work in a lumber yard. There was a short period of time where I Sold vacuum cleaners. I can talk to you about that. I paint houses. I can tell you about that. I've remodeled houses. I can talk about that. What did I know about preaching the gospel? What do they know? They're fishermen. Even at the death of the Lord Jesus Christ and His resurrection. And they they don't see Him. They said, well, let's go back to fishing. Right? Right? Why? Because they know something about fishing. 
But God does something here that changes their calling. He changes their calling. And this is what gospel preachers experience if they're true gospel preachers. We have a dearth in the land today. Because we don't have men who are called of God. We have people who have certain abilities to teach. They learned along the way. They have a mind to grasp certain facts. And they can articulate those things. But they haven't been called of God. Or we have men who are called of God to be pastors. Who think they can be missionaries. Or whatever. God is the one that equips a man to do what he is able to do in the kingdom of God. It says here, He ordained twelve that they should be with him, and that, they might, that he might send them forth to preach, and to have power to heal sicknesses and cast out devils. Certain spiritual gifts which attended the preaching of the gospel... In Luke chapter 9, the Bible says, Then he called his twelve disciples together and gave them power and authority over all devils and to cure diseases. And he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. There, these are the same gifts. Notice, he ordained the twelve, verse 14, gave them power to heal sickness and cast out devils. What is the first thing we saw in Mark chapter 1 when Jesus came into the synagogue? Heal the sick, cast out devils in the preaching of the gospel. What do we see in chapter 2? He healed the sick and he cast out devils. What will we see throughout the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ? He heals the sick and he cast out devils. And that, those two things go along with the preaching of the gospel. They are given, these gifts are given to the apostles to accomplish the same purposes which the Lord Jesus Christ accomplished in doing them. That is, first, that good works, healing the sick, doing good for people, might demonstrate the goodness of God who did them and who sent them to preach the gospel. Preaching the gospel without good works seldom accomplishes anything. Secondly, That the casting out of the unclean spirits might demonstrate the defeat of the kingdom of darkness. Who are the original twelve? Mark says in verse 16 through 19, Simon, he surnamed Peter, James the son of Zebedee, and John the brother of James, and he surnamed them Boanerges, which is sons of thunder. I smile every time I read that, but I'm thinking just, I can, I, can, I can relate to them. Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus and Simon the Canaanite and Judas Iscariot, which also betrayed him. There were men without personal presence. You know what I mean? Did anybody know what I mean by that? Somebody walks in, all of a sudden, all the eyes in the room are fixed on him. You know? Donald Trump walks in, Ted Cruz walks in. I can use those two names because we're more conservative in this congregation and we would know them. They walked in the congregation, boom, our eyes, right? They have a presence about them. There's a name known. And when they show up, they have a presence about them. Not these men. They're just among the hundreds of fishermen on the Sea of Galilee there, just with the rest of them fishing. No one sticks out above the others. They had no social or political rank. This is not the governor, the mayor. This is not some Roman ruler that has political power. This is not a general in an army who has a name about him. No. They are men without religious rank. These are not 
Sadducees, these are not Pharisees, these are not rabbis, these are not teachers in the synagogues. If they go to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, these are those that sit in the back row. They don't take the place up in the front where the religious leaders sit. They are men without educational rank. These are not professors. These are not doctors. These are not even masters. They're fishermen. The Pharisees would later say of them in Acts chapter 1 that they are ignorant and unlearned. Acts chapter 4. They are unlettered men. They don't even have a BA at the end of their name. Two years of college. Am I right on that? I think two years of college gets you a, what's called a BA. Bachelor of Arts. Anyway, correct me if I'm wrong. Four years. Bachelor of Arts. They don't even have a letter at the end of their name. This is Peter. This Simon, who was surnamed Peter, got his name changed by Jesus when he met him. The Lord Jesus Christ called his apostles, not as the world calls its future leaders, not as the world calls for a financial summit for the world's financial leaders. Instead, he chose them out of his own wisdom and his own authority as a sovereign God choosing his servants to do his will according to his bidding. And brethren, the choice of these twelve should encourage you in the Lord Jesus Christ. Can God use such a one as me? Certainly God cannot use such a one as me. Put that aside. Look at Peter and James. Look at John. Look at these men. Look at their lives. Look at their station. Look at their calling before they were called. All but one were followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. But each one of them were weak. Some of them new converts. They argued among themselves as to who would be the best. They were slow to learn, slow of heart, dull of hearing, slow to believe, and often unable to understand what the Lord Jesus Christ was teaching. They were going across the sea, and he says to them, Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. And they scratch their head and said, Must be because we didn't bring any bread. And he says, I'm not talking about bread. I'm talking about their doctrine. Oh! And I'm just like him. Oh! I didn't know that. They were chosen not because of their rank and ability in life and their understanding of the things of God. They could be taught and trained. They were chosen because God chose them. Not because they were better than others. More equipped, stronger, brighter minds. They were chosen in order to be taught. They were chosen to be trained by the Lord Jesus Christ alone. They were chosen, as the scripture says here, to be with Him. Verse 14, and he ordained twelve that they should be with him. And what is it that the Pharisees say after Jesus Christ has died, was buried, rose again, and ascended up on high? What did they say? These have been with Jesus. As members of the first local church, they were chosen to help in the work of the kingdom of God while Jesus Christ was still alive. This is the early days of the first church as God is adding to His church the 120 that will show up in Acts chapter 2. 1 and 2. They were chosen to help in the work of the kingdom of God while Jesus Christ was still alive. And then as members and leaders of the first local church, they were chosen to carry on the work of the kingdom of God after the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
These men were chosen and ordained to be apostles. The apostles were part of the foundation of the early churches. They were men who understood how to lay foundations and then leave it in the hand of others to build on that foundation. They were men who understood who God was because they had walked with Him. They would learned from Him. They knew something of God. The Pharisees knew nothing of God. The Sadducees knew nothing of God. The rabbis knew nothing of God. But these men, 11 of the 12, chosen to be with Him. What can we learn from the Lord Jesus Christ's choice of the 12th one, Judas Iscariot? The Bible says of him, and he's always listed last, Judas Iscariot, which also betrayed him, or also betrayed the Lord. Always listed last of the twelve. There are at least four things, I think, that we can learn. He chose the twelve. Now we, uh, now we, and eleven of them were true converts. Now we come to the twelfth one. His name is Judas Iscariot. The first thing I believe that we can learn is this. God is sovereign and His plans are not easily understood. Amen. Amen. I put myself among the twelve and I come in my heart and mind to the end where Judas betrays the Lord and I scratch my head and say, because no one knows until the end. He gave them all power to heal diseases and cast out demons. And Judas rose to the place of being treasurer. No one knew except the Lord Jesus Christ when He first chose Him. And I'm thinking about this as I'm thinking about preparing this message. I'm thinking, what can we learn about God's choice of Judas? The Bible doesn't tell us anything of God's plan. Just that Judas which also betrayed him. Doesn't tell us why. We learn later that he betrays him. That the devil comes into him and he sells the Lord Jesus Christ for 30 pieces of silver. And we scratch our head and we wonder why. The Pharisees could have betrayed him and did betray him early in his ministry and they were his arch enemies throughout the whole of his ministry. Why did he not choose 12 followers of him and let the Pharisees be the one? to betray him. They did in the end. The Sadducees, the Herodians, all of the Jewish leaders betrayed him in the end. Why did he not let the Roman government, Herod and others, betray him in the end? Call him before the tribunals and condemn him at the end. Why one of the twelve? God's plans are not easily understood. The second thing that we need to learn from this is God is too wise to make a mistake. God did not make a mistake with Judas Iscariot. Third thing is God is omniscient. He knew in advance that Judas would betray him. He knew before the foundations of the world. John chapter 6 and verse 64 Jesus Christ says this, But there are some of you that believe not. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray Him. John 6 and 64. Fourth, not everyone who preaches in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ is a Christian. That is a lesson that I believe we need to learn. And here is a lesson that we can learn from Judas. Judas was sent to preach the gospel, heal the sick, and cast out unclean spirits. He had the ability to do those things. And we look at him during the first three years, and three and a half years of the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we say, wow, what a preacher. Look at this evidence that he's a Christian. He casts out demons. He heals the sick. He's going into the villages and preaching. Someone asked me a question. What about those that he baptized? Were they baptized? That question was raised in India. And I said, yes, because it's not Judas that has the authority to baptize. The authority to baptize is in the church. 
If the preacher turns out to be a devil, that doesn't mean your baptism is not biblical. The church authorizes your baptism. But it's a good question, isn't it? Listen to the scriptures. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, 22, and 23. Where Jesus speaks, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? Have we not preached in thy name? The many who will say to me in that day are preachers. are like Judas who preached the gospel, healed the sick, and cast out demons. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works, miraculous works? The question always arises and has arisen on... In Texas, in Mexico, and in India. Well, what about those that are performing miracles? I mean, what do you think, Brother Pat? They're, they're, they're performing miracles. People are getting healed. I said, how do you know they're not true Christians? And you call them false prophets. Why do you do that? Look at what they're able to do. You're not able to do that, Brother Pat. Why? They're able to do it. I said, how do you test the spirits? Not by whether they can heal the sick or cast out demons, but by the message that they're preaching. Test the spirits by the Word of God, by the message that they're preaching. The modern day prophesiers in the name of Jesus who cast out demons and heal the sick do not preach the gospel. That I can stand on. That I can stand on. Many will say to me, didn't we cast out demons in the name of Jesus Christ? Didn't we heal that person in the name of Jesus Christ? Rise up and walk. Didn't we heal that person? Yes, you did. But in verse 23, I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you that work iniquity. Preaching the gospel, healing the sick, casting out devils in the name of Jesus by a lost person is a work of iniquity. There's a, something we need to grasp here that we don't easily see. Ye, ye that work iniquity. What work had they done? They had done it all in the name of Jesus. But the next thing we see that follows the choosing of this twelve, the naming of Judas which also betrayed him, was these words, verse 21 and 22. And I included these verses here, and I might expand upon it a little bit more next Lord's Day, but I included these verses in this particular message because I want you to see that at the calling of the twelve and the empowering them to go forth and preach the gospel, at the expansion of the kingdom of God, we have these responses. Verse 21, when his friends heard of it, they went out to lay hold of him, for they said he is beside himself. You know what they're saying about him? He's crazy. He's insane. He's not in his right mind. He needs to be put in an asylum. He needs to be locked up someplace. He's not in touch with reality. Verse 22. And the scribes which came down from Jerusalem said, He hath Beelzebub, and by the prince of devils cast out devils. Two responses of the enemy of God toward the calling of the twelve. Happens right on the heels of these twelve being called, empowered, and sent forth. Friends and family end up thinking you have lost it. (laughs) I know a little bit about that. (laughs) And you should too if you're a Christian. In Mark chapter 3 and verse 31, just a few verses down, and we'll get to it later. There, then, or there came then his brethren and his mother, and standing without, sent on him, calling him. 
We've got to get him home, get him in bed, put a coal pack on his head. This man has lost it. In John chapter 7, it is recorded in verse 5, For neither did his brethren believe in him. He lives in a family of unbelievers. Brothers and sisters who didn't believe him to be the Savior of the world. But secondly, in Mark chapter 3 and verse 22, the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious leaders, Mark chapter 3 mentions the scribes in, Mark, in Matthew 9 and verse 34, but the Pharisees said he casted out devils through the prince of devils. So it's the scribes and Pharisees, it's the religious leaders in the Jews' religion begin to increase their criticism of the Lord Jesus Christ. They cannot answer him from the word of God. They cannot submit themselves to the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ. They cannot give up their religion and receive the Lord as their Savior. So the only thing left for them to do is increase their criticism. And they're lying about him and his work. They condemn themselves. They said, this man cast out devils by Beelzebub, the prince of devils. And we'll get to this next week, Lord willing. But in verse 28, Verily I say unto you, All sins shall be given or forgiven unto the sons of men, and blasphemies wherewith soever they shall blaspheme. But he that shall blaspheme against the Holy Ghost hath never forgiveness, but is in danger of eternal damnation. Those are the words of the Lord Jesus Christ on the heels of the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the Jewish religious leaders saying, He doesn't cast out demons by the power of the Spirit of God. He casts out demons by the power of an unclean spirit. In their proclamation that Jesus did His work by the power of Satan, they were blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Jesus accomplished all he accomplished by the power of the Holy Spirit. They denied that and said he did what he did by the power of an unclean spirit, by the power of the prince of devils. And Jesus says of those who are saying that, they will never be saved. There can only be two possible responses to the Lord Jesus Christ and to the work that Jesus Christ does in the lives of his disciples. Are you listening? You see the Lord Jesus Christ. He saves somebody and their life begins to change and he begins to work in their lives. He begins to answer their prayers. He begins to deal with them. There can only be two responses to that. Either we are able to see God is working. Despite the frailties. Remember what we're talking about now. We're talking about the twelve. We're talking about the eleven apostles in the early ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they're, they're not much to brag about, okay, at this point. But they've been ordained to preach and sent out to heal and to cast out demons. And the Pharisees look at that and said, This man accomplishes what he accomplishes by the work of Satan. And so there can be only two responses. Either God is working, or we come to believe that what is happening in their lives is not a work of God, and we attribute it to either their own efforts or to the work of an unclean spirit. When you look at a child of God, and we're talking about early in the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, we're talking about the Lord Jesus Christ's ministry in the early days here, we're talking about a handful of people that have been converted, and there's not much here to look at. But when you look at that and say, this is not God, you are walking on thin ice. Better keep your mouth shut until you find out the truth of the matter. God does not do that. Whoa. Be careful. You have no idea what God might do.
Do you know that God instructed one of his prophets to marry a harlot? And you scratch your head at that and say, what? I don't understand it. But I'm not going to question the wisdom of God. There are some things you just leave them alone. Leave it alone. But you open your mouth and say, this is not from God. You are in dangerous ground. You're on dangerous ground. You've set yourself up to be a judge instead of one who sits humbly and says, well, let's just wait and see what God does. You set yourself up. Be careful. This is early in the days of the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ and he pronounces a judgment upon the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes and the lawyers and says to them, you will never be forgiven. Three years later, he says, your nation is taken from you. Oh, brother, let us just keep our mouth shut. Let us not boast of knowing something that we don't know anything about. We have no idea what God might be doing or what God might not be doing. Better to wait and see. As Paul said, do not judge before the day. There's a day coming when all will be judged righteously by the righteous judge. Let's wait for that day. In the meantime, as we look at the Lord Jesus Christ, on this day, in this text, He has set in motion an expansion of the kingdom of God. And as I've often said to many of the men that I've labored with over the years, you will only be able to accomplish what you are able to accomplish. If you want to accomplish more than what you are able to accomplish, you're going to have to surround yourself with men that you train and teach and send them out so they can also accomplish some things. And this is the teaching of the Word of God, beginning with the Lord Jesus Christ, here in the New Testament. And expanding through the apostles who later on teach others. Who later at the end of the apostles' life says, you teach those. I've taught you something. You teach them to others. And now so that they can also carry on. And in 2015, November the 15th, 2015, that practice has continued from the days of the Lord Jesus Christ up on that mountain when he called 12 men to himself and 11 of them were converted and he sent them forth to preach. And the fruit of it is in our church today. The gospel continues and it's in Mexico and it's in India. The gospel is spreading and it's spreading. And God is not at a lack of servants. Believe me, brethren, I see a lot of old men in the ministry God is not at a lack of service. I also see young ones coming up. And they need to be taught and they need to be trained. And I'm praying for some here. As we practice what Jesus Christ did. As we have the testimony of the Gospels before us. To set our heart to follow the Lord Jesus Christ in these matters. Let's pray together.